0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So last week we started talking about wise speech. And um, at the end there were some questions that came up and I want to get to the questions, but um, just to start for those of you who weren 't here last week, just a, a little bit of a review about why speech um, so why speech is a part of the um, eightfold path it's a it 's an aspect of our practice that is exploring our relationship with others, and so to me, this is an important part. These three aspects of the Eightfold Path are an important part of recognizing that our practice is not just about sitting in silence and meditation. It is about looking at also how we connect with our fellow human beings, how we relate. And the encouragement is to relate wisely. Um, the The Pali term that is being transla- that I'm translating as wise in this moment is sama, which is maybe more... Um, Accurately translated as right. And um, sometimes we talk about right speech and wrong speech. But I want to contextualize what this word means in this, at this point. Because the, you know, the, this, these aspects of the Eightfold Path, the uh, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, we call these the ethical section of the Eightfold Path. And it, it does talk about our relationship with human beings in terms of actions to avoid particularly. And so it 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 sounds very much like what we might think of as the the Ten Commandments, that kind of thing. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and uh, you know it's a refraining from from false speech, refraining from harsh speech, refraining from divisive speech, refraining from idle chatter in the wise speech area and wise action, refraining from killing living beings, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from creating harm through sexuality. And then wise livelihood is is, is kind of like a livelihood that doesn't require us to uh, violate the uh, wise speech and wise action. In a simple way, we could look at it that way. and so these these sound very much like a, a "thou shalt not," and we might pick that up as just being a, like a kind of a somebody coming down from on top and saying, "This is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong." And in that way, the word of the word of right and wrong, we we may put into that kind of category of of just kind of like somebody saying what's right and wrong. But the perspective that's offered here is is more practical in many ways. Um, the 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 perspective of the Eightfold Path, all of the factors of the Eightfold Path have this word Sama in front of them. So right understanding or wise understanding, right intention, right speech, action, livelihood, right mindfulness, right effort, right concentration. And what the right means in this case, maybe a a, a different kind of way of thinking about right, is like we might be giving somebody directions in how to get somewhere. And, um, you know, it's like, well, go, go that direction, and then at that place you take a fork, you go that on that fork, and, and, um, and you know, if you follow these directions, you'll get to the place where we're, we're trying to get to. And if you don't follow the directions, if you go the wrong way, you won't get to that place. And so we can think about the, these as being kind of our guidance for the right uh, way, it's, it's the, the Eightfold Path, so it's the right direction on the path. It's very much this, this analogy of, of walking somewhere or going somewhere, traveling somewhere, and finding, um, having some help, having a map, having somebody to help us say, this is the direction. This is how you get to non-suffering. This is how you get to peace and so the that's the that's the way in which i like to understand the word right it's it's the it's the right direction that heads us towards um less stress and suffering in our lives and ultimately in the direction of the possibility for complete freedom from stress from suffering so the, that's the the frame in which we explore these aspects of these uh, ethical this ethical component of the eightfold path and so the wise speech section uh these four areas of speech and it is framed in terms of four kinds of speech to avoid wise speech is refraining from unskillful speech or or wise speech is refraining from kinds of speech that would take us towards suffering so the that's again the direction it's the directionality here and so the the four kinds of wise speech: refraining from false speech, refraining from harsh speech, refraining from divisive speech, and refraining from idle chatter. So the the um, you know refraining from false speech, and again, this is um, uh, it's 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 not just about saying I'm not going to do this. That that um, way of relating to these directions let's use that frame again you know, so the direction uh, analogy is like if you just follow the directions you know, maybe the gps is an interesting analogy in some ways you know i know i know some people um it seem to be the younger folks who have grown up with the gps and you know they follow the gps it's like go left go right go left go right but they don't really know where they are and they don't have a context for where they are or what the choices they're making mean. Um, and if the, you know, so if they, if they get off of that um, or if the GPS dies, it's like they don't know where to go. They don't have the context. And so the, you know, the, the um, important part with the following these directions around the wise speech refraining from these kinds of unwise speech is not simply to blindly follow these directions to just say oh false speech I shouldn't do that but it is actually to look at what's going on with that to explore you know the the intention that's connected with that because that's where that's where there's learning and wisdom and understanding that develops as we start to recognize, hmm, the mind, you know, it's like, it, there's, there's kind of this pull towards lying right now or a pull towards, um, you know, saying something that's false. What's going on? It's not simply to kind of cut it off and say, oh, I won't do that and kind of to repress the urge or the motivation, but to begin to understand the motivations. So that's, that's the way in which this engagement with these um, directions with these aspects of wise speech can be transformative for us. And so the, the encouragement is to look at not only the action, but what is the intention? And in fact, the, some of these are are defined. And I think actually they all are kind of defined in terms of the intention that's connected with them. So false speech is speech that is intending deceive, we may say something that is not true and be unaware that it's not true. Somebody else has told us something that w- that uh, they have said is true. They were perhaps misinformed, and and so the fake news perpetuates. You know that kind of um, not knowing that you're not speaking truth. That is not um, breaking that kind of. Uh, guideline it's not helpful in the world for sure to perpetuate untruthfulness but if you're if you're not doing it with the intention to deceive then that's not wrong speech it's it's got some delusiveness in there in that maybe you're not checking out your sources or really understanding or knowing what's what's the truth is so there's some there's some work to explore there but the you know, you are not speaking with the intention to deceive. And so this is a piece of what false speech, this refraining from false speech, refraining from speaking with the intention to deceive. And then um, divisive speech is speaking with the intention to create division. Oh, let me go back to false speech again for a second, because the I think it's important to not only look at the you know the kind of the intention to deceive, but also more deeply what's what's that based in? The Buddha points to all of our suffering, all of the things that lead to suffering are, are rooted in greed, in aversion, in delusion, and so that intention to deceive will be connected to. Some form of greed, some form of aversion, or some form of delusion, and so that that it, it can also be useful to, to be curious about that part you know so there's this this wish to not tell the truth here. Why is that? Do I want to uh, have, get something you know do I want to, to, to is, is there a motivation to of greed, of wanting to hold on to something or get something under false? pretenses is it a version of of not wanting to deal with something so kind of saying something that's not true so that you don't have to deal with something or maybe it's delusion um i know this to kind of almost a sense of uh and sometimes this has a flavor of greed but the the like the like exaggeration or um um You know, telling, you know, just kind of elaborating on something that's just outside the boundaries of truth to make a story more interesting. So there's, you know, that kind of is in the flavor of a delusion, you know, the the kind of sense that it's important for me to have an interesting story to tell. Um, So, you know, so it could be, it could be any of those. And then there are some gray areas, which is the the place where the questions came last time. So I'm gonna put that to the side for now and we'll come back to gray areas. Like, you know, um, how about white lies? How about about, uh, telling um, somebody a a lie in order to prevent them from being hurt? So that's a kind of question that can come up in this, in this area. And, and I, w- I want to talk about the gray areas for all of these. So that was the kind of the richness of the end of the discussion last time that I want to bring in this time. So false speech, speech intending to deceive. And what's the, what's the reason? Why? What's the motivation for that intention to deceive? Connected with greed, aversion, delusion... And then divisive speech is this speech that's intended to create division, to divide people, to um, separate us from them. Many different flavors of this. And so the speech, divisive speech, is speech intending to create division. Again, and, and, and something I want to say about this intention um, when we use the word intention, sometimes um, we think it means or we we connect it to the meaning of consciously having an intention to do something. Like we know that intention. We are consciously aware of it. And in this um, exploration around wise speech, right speech, beginning to look at Um, What are the intentions connected to our speech? Um, This can begin to reveal intentions that are there but are below the level of our usual conscious awareness. And so, you know, the the intention to deceive may be there even if we are not consciously aware of it. And that gets a little more... um, Interesting and kind of curious as we as we see. So this is partly why the Buddha encourages us to refrain from these actions as a support for us, because he you know in general he says, you know, if we're going to be doing these kinds of actions, it is going to be motivated out of some kind of greed, aversion, delusion. And so even if we don't see the intention to deceive, if we know we are speaking falsely. If we know we're speaking falsely, if we don't know we're speaking falsely, then, you know, that's another matter. But if we know we're speaking falsely, but we don't see an intention to deceive, that's probably then below the level of our conscious awareness. So the, that, that's a place to kind of be curious. So the, the, these, these are almost like wake-up bells for us when, when we see that we're getting ready to speak falsely or to speak in a way that would divide or speak in a way that's harsh or speak in, in an, a way that's idle. Um, we can be, you know, we may not see the intention to divide or to, uh, uh, to, um, to deceive, but we can kind of have the Buddha's wisdom pointing to us. Well, these things tend to be based in those intentions, so check it out. So that's, a, that's another piece. Th- this intention may or may not be like obvious to us. And the, these practices of exploring, refraining from these kinds of speech, helps us to uh, to kind of begin to lower the horizon of the subconscious. Essentially, to begin to see things that are deeper, that are not always right up in our uh, in our conscious awareness. So the um, the speech, divisive speech, is speech intended to divide, intended to create division. Um, I, I, I I it's often I think motivated out of aversion and hatred, um can be motivated out of aversion and hatred, the the kind of the protection of of, you know, self another and um you know the I see so much of this coming in the political discourse these days, and so much of it does feel like it 's motivated out of out of um, ill will the the divisive kind of speech that 's happening in our in our uh, country right now around so many different areas, um, and so that you know that it, it, intending to create division, not intending to create unity, intending to create. Um, kind of concord. So, but it also could be motivated out of greed. I mean, as I was reflecting on this, I I realized or thought that this kind of divisiveness also might be motivated, I mean, it could be motivated out of a kind of a sense of me versus them, us versus them, they are different from us and we don't like people that are different from us, kind of this kind of um, separation, and fear of difference. So that divisiveness could be motivated from that kind of, of thing. But it also might be motivated kind of to divide people in order to protect or hoard your own privilege or place. And so I kind of agreed that, you know, it benefits me to keep, keep those people separate because that way I get to keep my things that I have. I get to keep my privilege, and so I think this is some of where some of the divisiveness around race relations happens as uh, there's I think there's both sides of greed and aversion in there, and also some delusion, some 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 sense of um, um, you know basically having a a, a misunderstanding of the um, um, that, the, that there isn't a real difference in terms of race in, in people, but believing that there is. You know, so that, that having that belief that there's a, some kind of difference between us fundamentally as different races, you know, that that is, that is just delusion. It's not true. It's not borne by any kind of evidence or science. In fact, the science shows the opposite. And so the, you know, the holding to that is a delusion... Um, so the, the, this divisiveness, again, you know, looking at t- speech intending to divide. Now somebody, again, might not be so aware of that. They may be thinking of it as speech intending to protect or to, you know, to, to you know, uh, have unity in my family. And that might be the unity in the family might be at the expense of something, some kind of division that's not so obvious in, in our mind at the time. And so this again, you know, to, to look, if we are saying speaking in a way that is creating division, and this I think is is we need to look at the effect of our speech here. You know, that we need to look at the what the result of our speech is. You know, we may not be intending to create division, and I think this is another aspect again. And we may not be intending to create division, but division is created. And so again, to recognize, okay, that has happened. You know, what, maybe, maybe there was something I didn't understand. Maybe there was some kind of misunderstanding, misperception, uh, confusion about something. And so to use, to use the effect to, to recognize that speech had that effect to begin to investigate and learn, you know, what might not I have understood? Was there some kind of, I, I I wasn't consciously aware that it would divide, but was there some kind of holding or protecting of something for myself or some kind of fear going on? And so to, to, to be curious about that. And then harsh speech is um, speech uttered, in anger and intending to cause the hear, hearer pain. So this one is much more um, rooted in an aversive state, I think. Um, last week I talked about some different kinds of harsh speech. It mi- might be abusive speech, uh, where we speak, in, um, speak with bitter words, we speak in anger. Um, uh, so the, the words themselves might be abusive um there might be um insult you know speech that's rude or deliberately intending to offend there might be sarcasm which maybe the words themselves sound Kind or friendly or connecting, but the tone is clearly separating, and so it's not just about the words. It is also about the way we speak here, and so I think harsh speech brings in a kind of a, a flavor of connecting, not only to the to the language, but also to how we speak. You know, are we raising our voice? Are we? Um, does our facial expression have some anger in it? Is there that kind of edge to the word to the to the tone that conveys that what i 'm saying is I mean the opposite so again you know the, the this exploration really is a, it, it is about mindfulness uh, I think that that wise speech, if we really engage in this practice of wise speech, we can really deepen our mindfulness practice because you know, in this area of wise speech, we get interested in you know, being aware that we're speaking and what we're saying, and and so it it supports a mindfulness. We have to be mindful in order to recognize and be aware of the content of what we're saying. But it also, in terms of daily life, is a real support for us to begin to draw together this. Um, practice of mindfulness a practice of awareness with content in our daily lives um, you know in our sitting practice often we practice letting go of our thoughts letting go of the content of what's happening in favor of a more um, you know just bare attention of what's this experience but in our daily lives we need a more of a connectedness of the context of what's happening and the content. We need to have a kind of a reflective awareness of the content and how that content is going to affect who we're speaking to. And so this, it brings in a whole like broadening of our mindfulness practice to engage in wise speech. And so in, uh, in the harsh speech, um, we can be... Um, kind of aware maybe aware of a kind of an anger or a frustration that might be getting ready to come out into the way we're going to say something and this is where mindfulness can help us if we start to see that kind of contraction or intention or you know the frustration with mindfulness we might kind of pause and recognize that maybe this isn't the place or the time to say the thing that was getting ready to come out of our mouths maybe we can have that possibility and as we start to get familiar with these kinds of wise speech we, um, you know, we begin to become aware before we're going to engage in them this is one of the benefits of this kind of practice. is kind of like we use these as mindfulness bells, as wake-up bells, getting ready to say something that's harsh or abusive or divisive or sarcastic. Hmm, what's going on? And again, it's not about kind of repressing or telling myself, I shouldn't feel that. But to be curious about it. Um, oh, frustration's happening. And so, what might it mean to be aware of that frustration, without it leaking out into our speech? Maybe we can relax our face, relax the throat a little bit. The awareness there helps us to uh, step into the interaction. You know, so not repressing the frustration or the anger or the confusion. Being aware of it may help us to actually engage in the dialogue with more skill. If we repress it, it's probably going to sneak its way in to our in- interaction. And so this is an interesting kind of like um, fine line to walk. How do we, how do we recognize these intentions, recognize the, the frustration and the anger that may be getting ready to motivate some kind of speech without repressing it or expressing it? And this is a really powerful mindfulness practice. That's actually what we start to explore. In the guided meditation, I talked about the allowing stance. You know, the allowing what's here to be here. Not um, judging it or um, neither being uh, caught by it nor... Um, buying into it, this is that kind of non-judgmental awareness. And so, oh, frustration is happening. Can I not judge myself for that? And can I not uh, express it in the world? There is it. what I've seen that, that can be possible when we recognize these motivations, that we can hold it kind of tenderly inside. We can hold it. And, um, you know, the caretaking there is not just about caretaking for the other person, that we not harm them, but this whole area of of ethics, of wise speech and wise action and wise livelihood is also about not harming ourselves. When the Buddha talked about ethics to his own son, he encouraged his son to look at speech and you know, if it's going to create harm for himself or the other or both, then that's a place to take care. And so the, you know, the, the exploration is also about where, what, what causes harm inwardly. So these practices help us to not harm ourselves. When we act out of anger, we are allowing that anger to um, perpetuate. And when we begin to see with mindfulness the experience of anger itself, and so this is a real benefit of, of uh, how our practice works, is that when we start to see these motivations out of greed, out of aversion, out of, out of delusion, uh, with mindfulness, not judging them, but, oh, this is frustration, this is anger, we begin to recognize, oh, this actually is painful here, now. This is not a a response that leads to well-being for this being in the moment. And so we start to see how not engaging in actions that would encourage frustration, would encourage anger. At one point the Buddha said, whatever one frequently ponders becomes the inclination of the mind. If we frequently ponder anger, frustration, that becomes the inclination of the mind if we frequently ponder, which also means to kind of act on um, love and kindness and compassion and generosity, that becomes the inclination of the mind. And so the, the middle way here is neither repressing nor expressing these motivations of anger, aversion, confusion, desire, greed, but holding them and recognizing them. And with that, we have the capacity at times to recognize it and hold it and then bring in or, or kind of have a bigger container from which we can make a response that, that may be able to connect more with love and compassion and care and kindness and generosity. So that the seeing of it is powerful. The seeing of these intentions that are connected with these movements towards harsh speech, divisive speech, false speech. And then the last one, idle chatter, this one is uh, pointless talk that communicates nothing of value. This is kind of the definition of that. And um, this, this, I think, has a lot of gray areas, you know, a lot of places where we might bristle a little bit and you know and one thing i'll say here too you know the the idle chatter um mostly i would say is rooted in delusion it it might be motivated in greed and you know just like uh i don't know wanting to um feel a certain way and you know i don't know to to we kind of agreed to have a certain construct happen, and that th- th- this kind of talk might be the way to get to that place. Um, but the um, um, I think it's important again to recognize what we might think of as idle chatter, and I mentioned this last week, you know the the um, pointless talk that communicates nothing of value. Again, the words are one thing. And the intention is um, really important. So we might think of conversations about weather, or you know, whatever. Uh, what we saw on television or the internet might be um, uh, idle speech, idle chatter. But it also can be. A way to connect, you know. There, could, it could be that that's a place to begin when you're, you know, first coming together with somebody, maybe an acquaintance uh, or somebody you don't know very well. Often, it it kind of feels appropriate to begin the conversation in a way that uh, is is more light. And to, to establish a connection, almost just through the language, through the words, we get a sense of how the other person is. It's almost like, you know, taking your temperature or something with each other. Um, you know, you, there's a lot that happens in body language and tone of voice. And, and, you know, maybe in that initial conversation, you, you know, around the weather or around, oh, what were you doing this morning? Or, you know, I was taking a walk and, you know, all this stuff, you know, it's like, um, you know, it might seem like it's not really communicating. The words may not be communicating something of value. But the, uh, the tone and the, the way in which we're speaking may be communicating something like, yeah, I feel really good today. Or, yeah, I'm struggling today. And that may support a way in which the two people can come into resonance together. And so, you know, the words themselves, it's, it, I think, again, we need, to, we need to look at what's the motivation. But again, the Buddha encourages us to recognize when we're speaking in this way and to, you know, be curious. Is this actually useful? Is this beneficial? So to to check into that. Is this beneficial? Is this benefiting somehow to to come into a kind of a relationship with somebody? I think... um, It can be that that kind of conversation goes on a little longer than it might need to. And so, you know, just kind of checking in when when there is that kind of conversation. What's the motivation? What's happening there? Um, And to be really um, compassionate with yourself about how hard it is, maybe, to Uh, not engage in this kind of speech. There's a lot of habits in our culture around this. Um, And, you know, it can feel kind of odd to not engage in that kind of speech at times. So, um, and another thing I'll say, uh, um, there's this understanding of the, kind of the path of practice and during the kind of, path of our practice there's you know we let go of certain things as we go along and um you know early on in our path of practice we begin to recognize um um that we you know we need to let go of of um um you know certain kinds of or, or that a mind actually begins to want to let go of certain kinds of of anger and hatred and and greed, and it just be, it begins to get weaker, and so there 's a letting go of of you know the false speech, for instance the 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 engaging in in lying begins to just be something that we just don 't want to do so much, and so there 's this kind of understanding of a staged letting go the the path of practice. In the Theravada tradition, has these four levels of awakening, or four levels of deepening in um, kind of the, the, the kind of the stages of letting go through the course of our practice. And um, uh, in one of the commentaries, they put. Um, um, each of these aspects of wise speech at these various stages of of awakening. And the, you know, the first stage of awakening is kind of where we just begin to recognize, yes, this path, this path is really helpful. (laughs) I want to engage in this path. And that, and that, um, at that stage, the um, false speech falls away. The harsh speech and divisive speech don't really fall away until the third stage of awakening. And the idle chatter, it says, it doesn't fall away till the last stage of awakening. So give yourself a break. It's probably going to be with us for a while. And so, but again, you know, just be curious about it. You know, it's like, what's going on there? It can help to uncover some deeper kinds of attachments and clinging when it happens. So, um, some of the questions about um, that came up last time about kind of some of these gray areas. Uh, one was a question about silliness. What's the role of silliness? You know, that might be kind of in this flavor of, of um, you know, idle chatter. You know, okay, we could think of it in that place, maybe. Um, but, you know, silliness to me, Again, I think it's really important to look at the motivation. What's underneath? Um, You know, if we have this idea about our practice, and sometimes as we talk about the intention and being aware of the intention, it can get kind of, it can feel kind of serious. It's like, you mean I have to always have this intention to, like, you you know, be completely purposeful in everything that I do? You know, doesn't that take away spontaneity? Doesn't that take away silliness and and joy and delight in our in our lives? And um, what I want to say is that joy, delight, uh, uh, happiness um, are firmly on the path. The, there's a, a, another teaching the Buddha um, actually brought those in as part of the like kind of the cultivation. There's it's almost another. Path in a way, it's a, it's a, a set of kind of things that are cultivated as we head in the direction of letting go, and some of the early stages of that path include delight, and joy, and happiness, and so you know the the silliness can also be in that realm. You know that it's it's connected to delight. And I also find that having a sense of delight and playfulness in the practice, sometimes even some silliness in the practice, I often will say, play with it, you know, you know be curious. You know, curiosity, play can be a real support for our practice. And so the, you know, the notion of silliness, again, it's like, what is the, what is it? It maybe sounds again like, uh, serious but it doesn't have to be serious what is the purpose of that silliness you know is it is it is it based in greed or aversion or not understanding or is it supporting somehow a willingness to connect and engage is it supporting people to be able to uh, have a relationship of lightness and humor so you know it 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 really is the looking at why we're doing it. And it doesn't have to be this heavy sense of this has all got to be very purposeful. But, you know, to bring in the delight, the joy in our lives, in our relationships, a wholesome kind of joy, a wholesome kind of delight. So... um just stop for a second and check in because that was a question that came up. So I want to follow up. Are there any any thoughts about that, or anything that you want to reflect on, or more questions around that? That uh...
1: since that was my question, <laughs> I'll just um, two things that, that come up for me. One of the, one of that is spontaneity coming from a day of being serious and purposeful and you know that there's just this another of it is a is a release you know just to counterbalance just yeah. to let go yeah it's a letting go and another of it another of it is um, so let's just talk about letting go for just a sec yeah. because letting
0: go you know you know picking you've been very kind of maybe serious heavy maybe tight a little bit in the right. day letting go can mean
1: Letting go. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's right. a part of the path. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and I think sometimes, and then it brings up the three-year-old again, the delightful three-year-old. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on some level, she needs expression. And that's a positive thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Can get squelched in all the seriousness. The dark side of it, which is way more in my past, hopefully is is was needing you know when it, when that comes out and then you need attention or it has to but get you know something yes and that so is so, so not yeah you, helpful. you see
0: that clearly as not so helpful but but the expressiveness i mean just the kind of like the you know the delight that 's expressed you know that that there can be a wholesomeness to that delight that's expressed, and that can be contagious. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, and it's lovely when that's contagious. So, yeah. So again, you know, I think you, you're seeing, you see that certain parts of it, or the kind of certain aspects of needing something, but that doesn't mean that the whole thing right. is yeah. uh, un- unhelpful. Yeah, so so th- I think we sometimes make that mistake that if we see a certain part of a motivation that's connected with tightness or neediness that we figure the entire thing must be uh, unhelpful. But it, there's much more mixed motivations going on. And so, again, I think this exploration of the motivations can help us to see how delightful it is, you know, the kind of the uplifting, the connecting quality, the, the heart-opening quality that can be there with that silliness. And, you know, how does that get squelched with the neediness? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And along those same lines, if I may, um, another form of idle chatter, which I think I've aired too far on the other side, is just self-disclosure, talking about one's own process, right? And on one level, it's not necessary, right? It really isn't, because it's all stuff. We can watch it, it comes and goes. But on another level at least until we're at that fifth stage, right? <laughs> it is helpful, right? Because if we repress all that or we don't speak it, sometimes it does fester and we don't work it through. And it can be connecting, right? Yes. With the other person. Yeah. So as long as it's done in a way that's for, for um, self-discovery and reaching a place of wise whatever it is and relational... Yes, I think, yeah. I think the
0: main thing is to notice, is it connecting or, or not? And, you know, that it can be delicate in this area. I mean, this to me comes into the realm of, in some ways, some of the gray areas around truth. Um, you know, so refraining from false speech doesn't necessarily always speaking everything that's true. And this, is, this was actually on my list too. Uh, somebody talked about more about the right time for speech. You know, the, the, somebody asked that question last time, can we speak more a little bit about, about, about the right time? Because that's another way into the wise speech the Buddha talked about. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? Is it timely? Is it speak, spoken at the appropriate time? And so that kind of uh, self-disclosing speech, I think, is, is helpful to really recognize, is this person in a place where this self-disclosing speech would not be harmful to them? Uh, would be, they're, they're able and willing to receive it, are willing to support you in the process. I mean, I definitely have people that I go to for that kind of thing. You know, it's like, hey, I need to talk something out. Are you, are you in a place where you can kind of let me do that right now? Um, so, you know, to, to, to be respectful of what's appropriate in the relationship Um, so that's, it's, it's a, it's really a good, a good question and a good kind of exploration. You know, the timely aspect of it, I think, um, a couple kind of things I, I think about is will, is the other person in a place to be able to hear it? Um, some, you didn't say whether this was like in, in, there's, there's different kinds of ways that we might work something out in, um, in, uh self-disclosing and that might be self-disclosing something about this relationship that you're having this self-disclosure with versus with somebody else
1: this is more just working through one's own inner process okay yeah like i have a decision to make or i felt really hurt today by this i just want to talk about you know just okay so 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 just just just
0: that kind of stuff yeah so so again it's um you know if it's if it's about the Um, if it's something about gee you know I'm having a problem with you (laughs) you know that's another flavor of this whole thing that really takes a little bit more the timeliness needing to take more that into account in some ways like will what I'm going to say be able to be heard and how might it be able to be heard Um, how can I say it in a way that doesn't feel like I'm attacking or um, you know so there's a whole like so there's not only the timeliness, but there's the kindness aspect of it. You know, the Buddha did not say that we should... So the true useful kind piece, you know, sometimes um, people think, well, you know, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't seem kind because, you know, it's something that's going to make them feel bad. Um, but the Buddha didn't say that kind meant pleasant kind may mean that we need to give somebody feedback or that we need to express something about how something they did affected us that won't be something that's pleasant for them to hear. And so, but is it beneficial? Would it be beneficial to the relationship? Would it be beneficial to them, to yourself, to self, others and both? So again, this kind of connected aspect, how do we explore that? You know, is it the time for this? Is the person in a place where they can receive this information? If they are charged in the moment, probably not. Um, Is it a situation in which it's appropriate to say this? Is it, you know, is it a one-on-one conversation? Are there other people in the room? Is it appropriate for the other people to hear this? So there's a lot of considerations about this. Um, Um... and, and I'd say, you know, I think it's important to, in a, in a relational thing, to, to check in, you know, to, is this, you know, gee, I have this stuff, can, you know, can I talk it out? I think we, we need to be able to do that because sometimes the verbal um, expression allows a different kind of processing than the thinking expression. It, it somehow, I don't know why, but you know, it almost gets it more into the relational where we can see it a little more clearly. So it can be really helpful to just speak it out. And then we might be able to hear something or feel something or see something that was hidden from, from us when we were just thinking about it. So yeah, it's really helpful. Um, but do kind of honor the timeliness piece. And is it, is it, um, you know, is it kind, is it beneficial, beneficial for you, but is the other person willing to be in that in that place? Um, let's see, that one, that one. Oh, another one that um, kind of connected to this truth piece um, uh, that came up, um, at least in my mind, it was connected to some of the questions we got last time. Um, truth, speaking truth, does not mean that you uh, always have to say everything. Um, there is an example, a story. I can't. I, I, I didn't get a chance to look it up this morning to see the actual specifics of the story. Um, but there is a story in the time of the Buddha where the Buddha was having a conversation with somebody and uh, he knew something that... Um, I think it was something like that his son had died. He was having a conversation with a, a, a father whose son had died. And the man came to the Buddha and asked, what happened to my son or do you know where my son is? And the Buddha knew that his son had died, but also knew it wasn't quite the right moment to tell him that. And so he spoke about some other things first. So he, he didn't just directly answer the question immediately. He created the conditions in which the, the, the news could be received with a little more balance of mind. So, um, uh, and I don't know, it might have been some days even that that took place over. Uh, that that uh, he didn't just tell the, the person the truth, uh, you know, didn't offer that truth immediately. And so this does speak to, you know, again, is it the time? Is it timely to offer this wise speech? You know, so the, the, the true useful kind are, are kind of um, things to, to reflect on. You know, is it true? It's like the Buddha basically said, if it's not true, don't say it. And so this, um, the useful and kind are kind of more around the timing of when we would say something again. And looking at that timeliness of it. And so this comes to that question of the, the white lie. You know, not wanting to hurt someone's feeling. And I, I talked about this a little bit last week. Um, um, and, and one of you asked the question around, because well, okay, I'd said something like, well, you, just, you could just say something like, well, it doesn't work for me. You know, like, do you want to do something? And, well, that doesn't work for me. Uh, you don't have to tell them why. You know, this was a piece, a kind of a revelation for me of, of I felt like I had to explain myself. And it was a, it was a real a kind of a, a, a way to contain the, those white lies for me when I realized I don't have to explain why I'm not available or I just can say that doesn't work for me um and then somebody said well what if somebody keeps pushing you know what what if they keep asking or, or dive a little deeper um, if somebody continues to push for a reason uh, you know, you might just speak more directly to um you know it's it's interesting to me how how in our culture it seems as though those kind of personal questions, you know, I, I, I get them sometimes from people I don't know even. It's like, whoa, how is, you know, how is your day going? You know, are, are you having a, uh, you know, are you, are you just about finished with work today? And, and it's like, to answer that question properly, <laughs> I really have to uh, explain, I have a completely weird kind of works schedule um, and and so you know <coughs> often i'll just say something like well i'm having a good day or, or something like that if somebody keeps pushing it somebody who knows you you know you can just say you know that feels a little personal i'm not you know i, I and, th- and that can have an effect on your relationship but at the same time what they are doing is having an effect on your relationship and they may not be aware of that and so it's it's almost a more honest kind of, of exploration. It's like, yeah, you know that that's not that's not something that I'm I I, I feel like I want to disclose right now. Or um, maybe it used to be more easy to say that's none of your business. <laughs> that seems to be a rude statement these days. But but. Uh, I remember, you know, that, that being in the terrain of, of valid responses when my parent, you know, was growing up with my parents. You know, I've hired them to sit down a lot. <laughs> That's none of your business. Um, so, so those are, yeah, those are some of the kind of thoughts around that. And now we're out of time again. So, um, there's still a couple more that I didn't get to. Um, so maybe maybe next time i 'll continue a little bit with some questions, the, the questions uh, the big one um, uh, the big one that i didn 't get to is um, what about when other people are engaging in wrong speech? How do we relate to that? And so that that sounds like a good topic for the next time, and I will be away next week. Birgette Jelaine will be here next week. Um, so I'll see you in a couple of weeks thank you